0: Changing healthcare starts with a dream better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor recommended dose of MD innovation.
1: So this is Dr. Greg Goodman here at The Modern MD. I'm really excited and honored today. We've got Dr. Wynne Whitcomb, who's the Chief Medical Officer at Remedy Partners, where he oversees all aspects of clinical enterprise, the intersection between the clinical technology and business areas of the enterprise. He's a practicing hospitalist for the past 20 years, and Wynne helped to develop the first hospitalist practice in 1994 where he assumed leadership of the nation's first 24-7 on-site hospitalist program. Dr. Whitcomb is the co-founder and past president of the Society of Hospital Medicine. Dr. Whitcomb is also one of the first three to receive hospital medicine's most prestigious achievement, Master in Hospital Medicine. Wynn, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us at The Modern MD. Thank you, Greg. It's a distinct honor for me to be on the show today, so thank you. So, Wend, tell us a little bit more about you personally and your journey as a physician entrepreneur.
0: I've always been some sort of an entrepreneur from the early days. uh, I tried to invent a new kind of toothbrush when I was like eight years old, and I had a diagram of the toothbrush with a little reservoir of toothpaste implanted sort of on the back of the head of the toothbrush, and I, of course, never made it into production, but I've always had a, I don't know, sometimes I refer to it as ADD, and other times it's that I'm very curious and kind of slightly restless. So I'm always looking to do things differently, do things new. So I uh, train in internal medicine, and for me, that was a great springboard to becoming an entrepreneur because it's a generalist type of training. So I've done a bunch of entrepreneurial things during my career. I practiced right out of residency. I moved out to Montana and I was my own locum tenens physician, worked for myself and I moved around the state. It was sort of an off the beaten path kind of thing to do. And then I came back home. I live in Massachusetts and I did primary care for a year. That wasn't great for me. So I became an inpatient internist, which at the time was the way we were referring to the hospitalist job that I took in 1994 at Mercy Hospital in Springfield, Mass. And it turns out Mercy was the first hospital in the United States that I know of that had board-certified internists on-site 24-7. Mercy started that in 1993. So when I got there in 1994, it was essentially a ground floor opportunity. And very soon after I arrived, they said, well, we want you to run this program. So I sort of reluctantly agreed to run the Mercy Inpatient Medicine Service, which I did for about 10 years, and it was just an enormous opportunity to innovate, create, put my signature on what came to be a new specialty, specialty of hospital medicine. One of the things I did early on as a hospitalist in 1996 was to create the Society of Hospital Medicine with another hospitalist, John Nelson. So the Society of Hospital Medicine is the professional society for hospitalists, and John and I ran the organization for a few years, and then hired a real CEO to run it. But it's just been an amazing journey with uh, endless sort of uh, opportunities for innovation and entrepreneurship within the field of hospital medicine, because there's so much creativity that needs to be brought to bear to the healthcare system in general and to the field of hospital medicine in particular. So. That was really kind of where I got my start, and that's, in many ways, the foundation for everything else that I've done uh, in my career since then.
1: What an incredible journey, and you know, it's such an honor to have you on the show, being one of the co-founders of the Society of Hospitalist Medicine and you know, really leading the charge to create one of the large specialties that I think is uh, incredibly innovative. So, Wynn, we love to start the show off with a success quote. Do you have a quote that's important to you or something that you live by?
0: Well, I love the quote. I think it's attributed to Woody Allen. It goes something like 80% of life is showing up. I really like that because it captures what hospitalists are all about. And that specialty grew out of the need for physicians to basically show up, in this case, at the bedside of patients in the hospital, because the field developed at a time now 20 years ago when Primary care physicians were increasingly busy in the office, and the demands of office practice became such that doing the hospital was was really a hobby and an afterthought by necessity. For primary care physicians, a lot of my direct experience early on as a hospitalist was simply that being there was what was needed and bringing my clinical skills to bear. And I'll just sort of say that, you know, one of the things that all of our teachers in medicine tell us is when you first cure of a patient having problems or having an issue, the first thing you do is you talk to them, you do a history, and the second thing you do is you examine them. Now that, and we had gotten away from that, and what hospitalists do is they really bring us back to the bedside so that we can first talk to patients and examine patients. That's really what I mean by showing up, and then we can order tests judiciously based on our history and physical uh, that quote has really inspired a lot of my thinking over the years as I've helped to contribute to uh, the the of specialty.
1: I love that you know so much like you say is is being there and showing up at the right time and uh, you know having that impact on the patient. I want to shift to what I'm terming the white coat to business suit, and I know you've kind of continued to practice as a hospitalist and maintain you know some clinical practice also in the skilled nursing facility, but. How have you transitioned? I know you have much more of a full-time role at Remedy from practicing kind of full-time to kind of being more of a full-time entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, it kind of came in stages for me. I was lucky because, you know, two
1: years into my career,
0: got involved with the Society of Hospital Medicine. That provided me with so many opportunities to grow in a non-clinical way. I got involved with healthcare policy and spent time in Washington, D.C. in the health policy community doing advocacy, got involved in education and running large events, national meetings, and doing fundraising for those meetings, Um, and then just building all of the pieces of a professional organization and beyond that, building the pieces of a specialty and everything that's involved in that. So that was a wonderful jumping off point for me from clinical medicine. Not that I didn't love clinical medicine and I, in fact, do, but I like variety. And so that was the beginning of me becoming an entrepreneur, and part of it was sort of non-traditional entrepreneurship, sort of not working in a nonprofit, doing really innovation and, and maybe to some extent social entrepreneurship, although we were running a business too. The Society is a business. It's a nonprofit, one c 3 but in any case, you need to bring in money and pay your staff. And then I went for a A pretty long period of time after that, where I was mostly employed, I was an employed hospitalist, running a hospitalist practice, a medical director, and in that role, you're in many ways the CEO of the hospitalist program. You're responsible for the budget, and you're responsible for strategic planning and staffing and operations and so forth. So that was definitely an entrepreneurial experience, but I always on the side had my own consulting business and that really grew out of starting at the very beginning. I, you know, identified myself as an expert in hospitalist practice and in hospital medicine. So I would get phone calls from around the country saying, you know, can you come be a consultant for us and help us set up or improve our hospitalist program? So really started doing that at the very beginning of my career and learning how to be a consultant. That was the way, those were the ways that I was an entrepreneur for, for many years. And then I hit a moment probably four five years ago where I just didn't want to be an employee of a big organization anymore. I mean, hospitals and health systems are large organizations. They're, they tend to be bureaucratic and tend to be slow moving. And for a, quite a long time, that was a very good environment for me to work in. But as I became a vice president and a senior leader in two different Health systems and hospitals didn't suit me quite so well. So what ended up happening was it was out of sheer desire to start my own company and really be an entrepreneur and be a startup guy, out of just sheer desire and grit. I, you know My wife and I used to go on these runs. My wife's a physician as well. She practices in skilled nursing facilities. She's always been her own boss. And we'd go out on runs, and I'd be saying, now, what can I do? Let's help me think of something. What's the idea? So we had a bunch of light bulbs go off on those runs. And what it came down to was I started a company that uh, had a software application, which I designed, that was geared to reducing readmissions from nursing homes back to the hospitals. And it was an application, enterprise software, for nurses and nurses' aides to guide them through their decision-making and thinking as they encountered a patient who was threatening readmission to the hospital. I started that company, and I was the chief cook and the bottle washer and everything in between. I was the software guy. I was the COO. I was the CEO. I was the chief medical officer. I was everything. It was an amazing experience, and I failed, and I failed pretty quickly. In fact, that company, I really pushed hard for a little over a year and it wasn't that it out and out failed, but it didn't take off. And I got involved in another technology company, which is really extraordinary technology that is actually doing quite well. It's called Zato Health. Check out ZatoHealth.com. It's software that does a combination of discovery and search and has natural language technology and has a number of very interesting use cases and applications in healthcare. I mean, think about it. We have this thing called the internet, which wouldn't be worth much if we didn't have Google. And then we have this thing called the electronic medical record, which isn't really worth that much if we can't negotiate it very well. We can't search through it and find things in it very easily, even though most EMRs now have some sort of search functionality, not very good. So we're trying to do search and discovery in, among other things, electronic medical records. But Zato, the technology is really good at bringing together multiple disparate databases and fusing them into a virtual cloud where the data itself is left in place for security reasons. The technology does not move data, but forms a virtualizes a cloud of data from multiple data sources. And we use it. In genomics, we use it bringing genomic massive data sets and genomics together with large databases and electronic medical records. Claims databases, we have a contractor, we've brought together multiple claims, as is healthcare insurance claims, with clinical information systems and are gleaning new insights by bringing those databases together. And so, we have a number of projects that we're doing, and we're involved in TechSpring, which is an incubator, or basically an innovation center associated with Bay State Health in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I'm an advisor to Zato, but it's great because every day I'm thinking about highly technical things, even though I'm not an informaticist, I'm not an IT guy myself, I'm more the use case guy and the connector to the business world and to sales and business development with Zato. And then maybe I'll stop there for a minute, Greg, and before I launch into what my day job is.
1: I love that win and uh, such an incredible journey. And I think just to highlight, you know, for the listeners, you know, it's okay to fail and it's part of the learning curve and part of the journey. And I think you've done some incredibly exciting and successful things. And I think as an entrepreneur, people are really scared of that. And it's It's just part of the journey and it it normally as long as you fail quickly and fail fast, I think it's really a great teacher. So I wanna shift into the idea to venture. And I had the pleasure and privilege of working with you for for sixteen months at Remedy. You know, you're the chief medical officer there and I'd love to hear kind of the big vision of Remedy and why you're excited about Remedy and bundle payments and, and what you're working on.
0: Yeah, so I mean think about this. We are in the midst of the largest transformation in healthcare in over a generation. The Affordable Care Act and all the activity around the Affordable Care Act outside of what we would define as just the government's effort to transform healthcare, but also what's happening in the commercial sector and elsewhere. This is a rare moment in time. And so, you know, it was really important to me. It got me very excited when I started to see what was happening a number of years ago. I said, I really want to be I want a front row seat in this, you know, thing called healthcare reform. I, I wanna be in the middle of it and I wanna have an entrepreneurial experience where I make the world a better place and I help people, I help patients, I help families, hopefully I help solve the problem of runaway healthcare costs that are really crippling the ability of the United States to compete globally in a legitimate way because of the overhead that all businesses carry due to health care costs. All of that, I wanted to be part of that solution. And I wanted to apply business principles to be part of that solution. So Remedy Partners is an episodes of care company. And what that means is, so, so we are we have a contract with Medicare to administer bundled payment programs really across the country. So we are what's known as an awardee to convener, pardon the... Uh, uh, the jargon, but essentially we're a general contractor to administer bundled payment programs with hospitals, physician groups, nursing facilities, and home health agencies. And as I said, we work all over the country. We work with large hospital systems. We work with national physician practices, such as many of the hospital's practices and regional orthopedic surgery and cardiovascular medicine practices. We work with hundreds of skilled nursing facilities that are part of either standalone or multi-site chains of nursing facilities, and we work with a few home health agencies. What we do is we help them understand both the economics of this business called bundled payments and also how to implement a bundled payment program. But if you go back for a minute, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare is really trying to stand health care organ the way healthcare is organized and financed, I'm trying to stand that on its head. Because the current system is, you could argue, sort of doomed to failure. The fee for service system, which incentivizes doing more all the time, has many people feel run its course for some of the reasons that I was just alluding to. So what the Affordable Care Act is trying to do is change over to a system where healthcare is purchased and paid for really on the basis of value value defined as quality over cost and so the two ways that the affordable care act is trying to do that is with accountable care organizations and with bundled payment programs so bundled payment is essentially a way of paying for healthcare services in an under an episode of care framework and if you think about it the way we buy pretty much everything else in life It's a bundled payment. We have a set of goods or services that are bundled together into a product, whether it's your refrigerator, your car, or an experience like a vacation or a cruise or an airline flight. Healthcare hasn't been paid for that way traditionally. It's been instead a never-ending sort of a la carte loosely put together or not put together at all set of goods and services that's often not coordinated and often has no budget so that there's no lid on the spending. And so we've ended up with an expensive, uncoordinated healthcare system. So bundled payments are really trying to instead give a coordinated healthcare system and one that's cost-effective. And it's important to note that even though we call them bundled payments, the way healthcare is organized and arranged and experienced by patients is inextricably linked to the way healthcare is paid for. And so when you bundle a payment for healthcare, you bundle and you coordinate the care that's associated with that payment. And that's what Remedy is really trying to do, and that really kind of captures what Remedy is. We're a new type of company where almost like if you were looking at a health maintenance organization or an HMO in 1971, And you were to look at the Harvard Community Health Plan, for example, back then, nobody knew what to make of that business, and it became an HMO. We are a new genre of company in 2015. We've been around for a couple of years. We went live with our first bundle payment program in October of 2013. And we operated about 22 or so programs until April 1st of this year when we dramatically expanded, and we dramatically expanded again in July of this year, so that we're present in all 50 states, and we have more than $5 billion of Medicare spend under management now in conjunction with the hospitals, physicians, and and other healthcare organizations that I've described, and that wasn't really my idea. So, you know, getting back to my big idea, bundle payments wasn't something I thought of, but... Oftentimes, it doesn't have to be necessarily your own idea that's a great idea for a new business or for innovation. Instead, it's an idea that has not been paid much attention to. It's one that you have to sort of have a certain mindset and you can maybe read the tea leaves and see into the future a little bit. And that's what I try to do with bundled payments. I was lucky when I worked at Bay State Medical Center. I, became the leader of the Bundle Payment Initiatives at Bay State beginning in 2009, which was early for Bundle Payment, and we just published a paper from our experience with total hip replacement and Bay State's commercial health plan. We just published that paper, actually it's coming out next week in the Joint Commission Journal of Quality and Safety, and it just describes our experience implementing a Bundle Payment Program for total hip replacement. and then. And here's another thing to think about is what are the strengths that you as an entrepreneur have that you can bring to your next venture? And you should try to leverage all the experiences you've had in the past, even if some of those experiences aren't great. Take those experiences and really try to bring them forward and package them into the new you, the new and improved, who you are now based on all that you've been through and I did that in part. So I took my experience with bundle payments and running the programs at Bay State, and I became the chief medical officer for Remedy Partners about two years ago, a little less than two years ago. And that's what I've been doing ever since.
1: What an incredible journey, Wynne, and uh, it's really an exciting time. As you laid out the uh, the big framework of some of the major changes going on in healthcare, and you know, to your point, I think you have a really exciting front row seat and uh, excited for the future there for you. So one of the things that I'd love for you to share are what are some of the lessons maybe that you've learned or what is maybe the biggest lesson that you've learned you know, for others looking at value-based payments or bundle payments that they might be able to take to their organization or, or think about taking to their organization that could add value? Well,
0: one of the most exciting lessons that you know, has really come home to me is that physician leadership is absolutely crucial Across any healthcare organization as it's trying to transform and transition into this new framework of value-based payment that, according to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, is going to be over half of Medicare payments in a few years and certainly appears at this point to be a legitimate trend and something that will be the way that future healthcare is, is organized around and how it's paid for. So physician leadership in this kind of a change really any change in healthcare but we're talking about moving to value based payment physician leadership is absolutely crucial so it presents this enormous opportunity for physicians at every institution at every healthcare organization much the way for hospitalists over the last 20 years and certainly in many other realms of medicine whenever there's change a physician has that unique spot essentially at the top of the food chain and I'm not Meaning to diminish the role of uh, healthcare executives who are non physicians or others in healthcare, such as nurses and other healthcare providers, all of whom play a crucial role. But physicians do have the most training and do have a place in society where they are heard. And that's why gaining business skills and keeping hold of your clinical skills and putting those two together really is one of the most powerful skill sets that you can bring to the current healthcare landscape and will certainly provide any physician who has at least a modicum of imagination along with clinical and business skills will almost be ensured to have a happy and successful and meaningful career.
1: That's awesome. And and I couldn't agree more. I think we need to see more physicians kind of leading the charge. You, You know, it is an exciting time. So I want to shift to our last section, which is not our typical hospital round. So business rounds. Wynn, what is the best advice that you've ever been given?
0: I love the advice of fail and fail fast if you're going to fail and don't be afraid to fail. And I know we've heard that a lot, heard it earlier in this podcast, and but it's worth taking to heart when I launched my application for nursing homes that I described a few minutes ago, you know, that really was a 15-month sprint. I learned so much in that. Uh, period, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it didn't launch. It didn't actually, the airplane didn't take flight, <laughs> And uh, but I didn't try to beat the dead horse. I, I moved on fairly quickly, and there is something to be said for staying the course, but there's also a wisdom that you should bring the bear around when it's time to give up and move on, and so that's the essence of understanding that first of all take chances, you know. Don't always play it safe. Go get a little crazy. You know, take chances and take risks. Take calculated risks. After you've given whatever that idea is, its day in court and you've really given it a do a good college try, then then have the, the sense to, to move on and, and try something else. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for being willing to fail. For having speed to execution, and then realizing that it may not be perfect. It may not even be something that's that's, uh, successful ultimately, but as long as you don't let it drag you down for an inordinate inordinate period of time, a lot can be learned from it.
1: That's really great advice, and and I think it is important to go off the beaten path, get a little crazy, learn, and, and don't be afraid to fail. So On the same lines, Wynn, do you have any daily success habits or things that you do on a daily basis that you might attribute to some of your success?
0: It's a good question, and good habits are really important to foster. One that I would say, which is a little less in the the category of, you know, get plenty of rest and exercise and eat right and those kinds of things, is um, in medicine itself, Find a way to go off the beaten path in terms of what you read and what you expose yourself to, so you know physicians are very prone to engaging in groupthink, and the reason is is that we all go to the same conferences, we all read the same journals, we have similar cult- professional cultures in our workplace and what ends up happening is there's a, there's a real dumbing down of the imagination and what the realm of the possible. And so what I would recommend is picking some journal or newspaper or periodical or body of knowledge that does not fall into the category of the stuff that everybody else exposes themselves to and really develop that. Now it could be, well, you know, behavioral economics has gotten more popular, so that's even mainstream now. But for a long time, that was one thing that was interesting. The other really important sort of off-the-beaten-path discipline is, is neuroscience and brain science. And while that's becoming more mainstream as well, there's so much there. And, but the point is, is to find a discipline related to medicine that is off-the-beaten-path enough so that it provides unique ideas for innovation. And I'll say that it's sort of this area in between disciplines, so in between medicine and neuroscience, in between medicine and economics, in between you know our field and all these other fields. It's, in, it's that space in between where the innovation happens, where the creativity, where the, the art of the possible really exists. And so you're not going to find that if all you're doing is reading the same journals and going to the same meetings that all the rest of us are going to. find a way to go to the island of misfit toys, be, be a contrarian, and then build your innovation ideas on those sort of insights that you get from doing that.
1: That's really awesome. And I agree with you. It's it's translating generally between two very different fields and and, and kind of connecting those dots that can make you incredibly valuable. So the last question went, and I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but where do you see some of the biggest exciting healthcare trends, maybe in value-based healthcare, but just broadly in healthcare? What are are some of your interests and, and where do you have your eye on as far as where the future is?
0: you might not expect me to say this, but one is the study of empathy. And I think, you know, at the core of professionalism for physicians and other providers of healthcare is the ability to connect with our patients and our clients, the ability to put ourselves in the shoes of, of our patient. And there's a whole range of new technologies that are supporting our ability to increase our empathy. There. Not, not only are there experimental modalities like functional MRI scans, but there's this thing called the inner scope that you wear somewhat like a heart rate monitor that allows you to monitor your heart rate, your skin conductance as a measure of sympathetic tone, your respiratory rate. And so what that does is it allows you to essentially connect more deeply with patients Patients can wear this as well, and if you knew, for example, that a patient who had a heart rate of 98 and was sweaty and uh, was breathing at 40 when you walked in the room as the physician wearing the white coat, that might change your approach. Certainly, anything you do to interact with the patient, if you saw how that affected the patient in terms of their sympathetic tone, as an example, you would be able to build greater empathy for the patient. So that's just scratching the surface. Other and and then I think that really begins to enhance and improve the patient experience, which is what we're really all about here. And so the study of empathy, and we know now through uh, empirical studies that we can do some cognitive things to enhance our empathy. And there's a set of practices which are actually ancient that have been Studied on, for example, medical students, and then it's been shown that their empathy, as measured by validated scales and survey instruments, ha- has increased. So, while I can think of many other trends, some of which might be more flashy, I think that's a really interesting one. You know, the the other one is a trend that uh, I can tell you that if I wasn't working at Remedy and I had the energy to start a company, I would start a transitional care company. And what I mean by that is, so there is this real gap in healthcare where patients transition between settings and venues in healthcare, and the most notable one probably is between the hospital and when patients can access primary care. And so what you have now emerging with value-based payment is you have a legitimate business case where one did not exist before to do transitional care on a broader scale than what we've seen, we've seen it in pockets for for decades. And by that, I mean we've seen physicians focusing on skilled nursing facility care, physicians focusing on home visits, physicians working with teams to go into homes, physical therapists, uh, nurses, other professionals. But it's never been easy to sort of scale. And now, and it's not going to be easy, but there is going to be a, there is a legitimate business case, with value-based payment programs and some of the new billing codes that exist, such as the transitional care management code and the chronic care management code and some other codes that make it so that this whole arena of transitional care, again, including home care and and specialized outpatient clinics geared to transitioning patients back to primary care, skilled nursing facility and other facility-based care, even telemedicine and ways to connect remotely with patients to me that's one of the most exciting areas in medicine and one that presents a huge opportunity for innovation going into the next phase of of the healthcare system with value-based payments
1: you're just uh, an absolute true visionary and you know one of the big thinkers and dreamers in healthcare and i can't thank you enough for being on the show And just want to have a special tribute to you for being such a great mentor and friend and excited to continue your journey. So thanks so much for sharing, Gwen. An absolute honor to have you on the show.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.